Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back with another episode of Startup Hustle. We're going to get into part three of our How to Start a Startup series. How you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. We do. I don't know if we got enough time, but um, we, we got to figure out how to get our plan on the road and start making some money, man. I agree. So in this series, we've covered quite a bit of information. We talked about just general stuff to be aware of. Then we moved on to planning. And now is the fun part. We actually get to start doing something with this plan. It's all about implementing our plan. I agree. So during the process of creating your plan, you probably went through a lot of stuff. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but before you really get moving, you need to make sure that you've taken care of a few general business basics. Certain things like you know, have you set up an entity for your company? Have you? You know, we need to talk about that. I haven't, we haven't set up an entity for this podcast and um, there's a lot of expenses on my credit card that should be separated. Well, you're probably making the same mistake that I made with my very first business. It's called commingling. Yep. Commingling is when you mix your business's funds with your personal funds. It's not the right way to run a business. It is really tough to unmingle and it's just not the right way to do things. Now, there's some reasons for this separation. Do you know what a few of those are? Mm, like if shit goes wrong and um, we get sued? Yeah, well, that's why you can't have your business and your person be the same thing. So there's, some cert there's certain types of entities that are going to help you protect yourself in these situations. Now, with that, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to pretend to be. I'm just going to speak out of experience, but in my experience, pretty much the worst thing you can do is just be a sole proprietor. That's your default business type. If you decide to start a business and don't take any other action, there are some other different entity types that have some pros and cons for which you best to consult with an attorney or a lawyer. But I think we can probably talk about a few of them from experience. Well, I think the default thing is to set up a basic LLC, right? And um, you can run it as a S corporation, which means the uh, income from that flows right through. And so um, you don't have a separate corporation that pays taxes. You don't get double taxed. It's, it's um, actually uh, not an S. It, a, a regular corporation with an S election. Right is then an S-Corp. So you can be an LLC with an S-Election. Right. That's and, what I mean. And that's referred to by accountants as pass-through income. Right. So I think that's the minimum thing that you should set up. Yeah. And there are, there are you know, pretty much any startup's going to meet the requirements for an S-Election. And I don't know what it is. I think it's having less than 100 members. Uh, investors? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in an LLC, you have a member. Right. And uh, with that, if you have below a certain amount, and now the purpose of that pass-through income is so you don't pay tax on it twice. And 
the reason for that, that that's important is if your company gets big enough, it's going to actually pay tax on the profit and then have to distribute its or possibly distribute its profits to the members or shareholders. Via dividends. Right. And then right. you got to pay tax on dividends. Or, or distributions, as they call now, them, for LLCs. None of this is confusing, by the way. No. And I think we're getting ahead of the plan here because if we were distributing dividends, we would be in a really good situation. Yeah, we would be. And we would actually, our business would actually be open too. Yeah. So with that, shouldn't that be our primary goal when we go to implement a plan? I think it is. But okay. I think we, we skipped a few of the things at the basic uh, business affairs that they need to do here. Like they need to set up a bank account. Oh yeah. So meaning if I'm going to collect money, I need to have somewhere to put it. They need to se segregate their expenses, like you said, but they need to set up a bank account. Um, and they need to set up a basic corporation, and they could do that with LegalZoom or something like sure. that. Um, or if they have an attorney, they could use an attorney. And I would say if you don't have any business partners, it's probably pretty easy to use LegalZoom or something and do like a real simple, probably kind of two or three page thing that's very templated. But if yeah, you they, have, they actually send you a kit. You but if felt, you have, yeah, you do like a questionnaire online. It's like four hundred bucks, the, something like that. Now with that, it, it's convenient because they there's a lot of stuff you have to file there's a lot of paperwork and like just things that need to occur and well, you have to register with the state yeah get tax um, id number and yep. you know a lot of that stuff things you can do by yourself the problem is is if you don't know what you're doing and you skip a few of those steps it's just a pain in the ass later yep so now in my experience if you're going to have partners and other people especially investors you're probably better off to not go that route. It seems attractive because you might save a little bit of money, but having someone set it up properly is not only good for you, it's good for your partners and investors. You mean hiring a lawyer instead of using LegalZoom? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now that's going to cost a lot more. I mean, probably three or five times more, depending on what you're trying to do. But at the same time, it's good to, you know, you're going to get a little further refinement of the language and, and, and certain things like that. So yeah, they're, they're just using some template they're charging a lot of money for. Yeah, well, sure. But at the same time, there might be certain key <laughs> points that you feel like overpaying for. But they take the liability for it. Yeah, my dad's their job to make it work. You know, it's funny, because, you know, my dad's a lawyer, and I grew up around lawyers. And I'm not a big fan of lawyers. I'll even tell him that. And I've learned that no one dislikes lawyers more than other lawyers. So it's a very interesting uh, community, the legal one. You got any good lawyer jokes? Uh, no. All right. But I might I might revisit that one later. Okay. I, I have a mental block. I can remember no more than two jokes at a time. Well, and I think it's I think it's worth noting though, I don't remember what the statistic was, but there's a large percentage of startups that fail. Just be just due to problems with their legal structure or problems with their partners. So things around like um, if you have multiple partners, how much equity they get, and voting rights, investing, and um, you know they do you think you're going into business with somebody, and then all of a sudden they don't pull their weight, and the whole thing blows up. I mean, all those sort of issues. And so I think definitely when you're going in with partners, if if you had a lawyer that was a little more savvy on startups, maybe they could help prevent some of those things. Well, you but. know, another thing to consider too is where you're setting it up, meaning the state that you're in. Uh, for example, you know, we both live in Kansas and as you're aware, Kansas has some pretty interesting incentives for investors that want to put money into startups. Yeah, like angel tax credits. Yeah. Now those don't exist everywhere. That's specific to Kansas. And had I set up a company in another state, I wouldn't qualify. 
Right. So you definitely want to figure that out. You know, it's I, I run into people all the time that have, you know, incorporated in the state of Delaware. And there's some tax incentives for that. But you, you know, do your due diligence because you might be shutting yourself out of local or regional incentives that are related to that. So make sure you check that out. You know, the last thing I want to cover is it's really easy to, to segregate your, your spending, especially if you have a credit card. I, I, I'll just dedicate a credit card that I have to a business. And that's, we put all the expenses on it. It's pretty easy. So it makes it easy to account for stuff. It makes it easy to track it. Now, if you're doing that, and you have partners, you might want to include that in the language of your setup, just so you're not personally on the hook for whatever the card runs up. But it's an easy way to segregate stuff. I'm tired of talking about all this boring stuff, Matt. I want to get moving. All right, let's do it. How do we get started? Um, let's build a product we can sell. Wait a minute. We got to sell stuff? That's the goal. Oh, that's right. Okay, so... I mean, there are there are like those entrepreneurs that are always just like starting a company but never get a customer that's more than just entrepreneurs there's a lot of people okay yeah that's a that's a a a real big challenge now i call them startup groupies there's those people too yeah i've noticed that i've been in uh they come to all the meetups yeah i was gonna say at the meetups and i it's uh yeah, that's interesting i'm not gonna get go too far down that rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) so um you know, that's a, that's a thing too. So, you know, one, one, one trait that I notice with some of these folks though, is that they seem to never be done with whatever the hell they're trying to build, meaning they never open. And I've used this uh, example before, but you can always think about the store owner that's so busy cleaning his store that he never gets around to opening the front door. So with that, that's not the way you want to treat your startup you have any suggestions for avoiding that, Matt? Well, I think you know your first your first goal is to build that minimum viable pro- minimum viable product and get your first customer. But I think before you even get that far, you should probably know who your f- first customer is that you're doing beta testing with or you're getting feedback from, right? I mean, even before you start selling your product, you should have had some other potential clients lined up, people that you were getting feedback from. Well, otherwise, you would have been building a product in a vacuum somewhere. Well, I knew that once I built this, they would just flood to me. So I didn't do that. No, nobody gives a shit about what you're doing. Wait, but if only a small percentage of the people that need this product would use it, I'm going to be rich. They don't know you exist. We should probably figure out how to change that. Well, you got to go find them. What's that called? Uh, marketing? Hustle? Well, those are all good things, but those also fall under what is oftentimes referred to as a go-to-market strategy. That's right? right. Okay. So that goes together with the development of my product? You got to know who you're selling your product to because that'll change your product. You know, the thing that I, I think is interesting is sometimes people look for the answers to certain questions and they're right in front of you the whole time. You know, you're, you're there to solve you're, you you built something to solve a problem, to fill a need, to create a value or benefit to the recipient or the user. Wouldn't that also pretty clearly define who your target is from a marketing perspective? You definitely got to know who your target is. You got to know what problems you're trying to solve. And, you know, with, with most, most things, think about the simplest thing in the world. Let's say you're um, detailing cars. Well, if your goal is to detail Ferraris, 
those types of customers, how you find them is going to be very different than if you're just detailing any random car, right? If all you want to do is detail high-end cars, you've got to go find where those people live, where they, uh, the groups they go to, who their friends are, right? Versus just walking down the street and finding any random car, right? I mean, no matter what your business is, who your customers are and where they live and what their needs are is different. Even if it's the same service, if it's something as simple as detailing a car, right? How do I do that? You got to you got to make a strategy and pick. You got to pick who you're going after, and you got to optimize around it. There's literally ten thousand ways to probably go after what you just mentioned. Like you have data, you you'd be shocked at how much information about you and me is just online and for sale, right? So with that, you can you know what you're talking about is is you want to narrow the scope of who you're trying to sell to. And then you want to create a value proposition for getting those people in the boat with you. I mean, so for example, if, if you were going to detail my Ferrari, you know, one of the uh, best features you could provide me is that you would come to me. Okay. I don't have time to drive to you. You got to come to me. That's a good point. Right. But if you were servicing anybody, you know, you might make them drop your car off. But I think, I think the funny thing is, is you're using real life examples here during yeah, the show. Sorry. Well, you do have a Ferrari. I do. And you probably, I've seen it and it hasn't been cleaned in a while. And no. it's probably because no one's coming to you to do no, it. No, that's right. That's good. I needed a few extra bucks for my trip this weekend. So I'll be by, is, <laughs> it's, five, it's 5.30 good? But I think the point is you got to understand your customer, right? You, you got to get in their head and understand what's unique to them. And and that impacts your your go-to-market strategy. And and so I think that that brings up a good time to talk about this book called Traction. Okay. So, well, well, what's traction? Well, you know, when you got to start, I hear, up, I hear about it a lot when I yeah. talk to VCs. They keep saying, "Call me back when you get some traction." When, when you got to start up and you're trying to um, get your first customers, maybe you've got your first couple. But when you're trying to go from you know your first couple to the next ten, twenty, you know, fifty, hundred customers, or whatever, you got to figure out what channels you can sell your product through. And so, there's a great book called Traction, and it's all about the different traction channels. So let me let me read off uh, some of the different traction channels for you as examples, okay? So basic things like viral marketing, uh, basic PR, public relations, um, unconventional public relations. So a good example of that we talked about earlier was like uh, a YouTube channel for the the blend tech guy that's like the will it blend, like weird things that they do that draw attention to themselves. But so it's for kind of PR, but it's it's kind of unconventional. Which, by the way, Matt has educated me that that's a YouTube channel where the host does nothing but blend things. Oh, yeah. Really funny a, things. A cell phone. Uh, what are some other things? Like, uh, you name it. Uh, yeah, you name it. He's blended it. Yes. I'm going to probably blend yeah. something tonight. Um, so search engine marketing, which paper pay-per-click, um, social and display ads, offline ads, search engine optimization, content marketing, email marketing engineering is marketing. And so actually for StackFi, this was a big one for us when we looked at this list. So engineering is marketing basically meant, can we build something that's like a free tool that people would naturally love and they would share? And when people would use that free tool, they would learn about us, they would learn about our other solutions, and then hopefully buy our product. Give them something for free. You give them something for free. And that's not the same thing as a free product or a freemium product. This is completely different. This is like a special tool that only exists for the sake of marketing. And so HubSpot's a good example of this. So HubSpot does 
CRM and like lead management and stuff. And, but they have some cool like website grader tools. So you could go in there and you put in your website, your domain name, and they'd give you a grade that said, you know, hey, your homepage and your basic SEO and your page title and all this stuff is good or bad or whatever. Well, that got you introduced to them. And it was a tool that you would go back and use periodically and you might share with somebody. Well, that all generated traffic for them. So that's kind of an example of, of engineering as marketing. That's a big one for us at Stackify. We have a free tool called Prefix that that uh, does that for us. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, it is, and we've had yeah. twenty thousand people download it in like one hundred and forty countries in the last eighteen months. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so another one is um, targeting different bloggers, so influencers in your space. So for me, it'd be like other software developers. I want to get, I want them to blog about us. And that isn't just blogs. There's also people that do stuff like social media is big. Yeah, on every channel it could be I mean, Instagram you or YouTube whatever. and yeah. just a whole lot of it's stuff. Like product yeah. placement, sort of, yeah. right? Now, now some of those people might want to get paid, right? Some of them do. Yeah, sure. They, and most of the, an most of the big ones will. Right. So some of them could be affiliates, and that's another one of the traction mm-hmm. traction items on the list here. What, what is affiliate marketing? Um, so, like, if you, for example, with Amazon has an affiliate program, right? So, anytime you blog about something, you can put a link to a book, and if somebody clicks that link and they go buy the book, they make their you know a few pennies for you buying the book. It's results based compensation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, you know what's actually really great about that for a startup is you don't have to pay anybody unless they perform. They perform. Yeah, it's all about yeah. performance. All right. So back to my list. So we have. Business development, so ba- like partnerships, uh, direct sales, affiliate programs, which we just kind of mentioned, um, existing platforms. So that's another one is if you can build a product that you integrate into somebody else's platform and you kind of live inside of it and you're able to sell your product because of your integration in that platform. So example of this a while back would have been like a Facebook game. Like you built a game and you purposely built it for putting it in Facebook. And because it was in Facebook, you would get a lot of users and, and you know, c- customers because it was in that um, platform. Um, all right, so other ideas, um, trade shows. So for me, trade shows suck. For some people, I have friends where their whole business revolves around trade shows for whatever reason. In specific industries, they work really well. In other industries, they're terrible. Um, offline events. So for example, meetups, it could be a good way to find customers. Uh, going around to different meetups, speaking at them, sponsoring them, uh, speaking engagements. So going to trade shows or conferences and speaking. Um, another idea is writing books and community building. So building a, a tribe of, of, of community of people. So there's a long list. There's like 20 of them. And I think the key is not all of these work for every business, right? So you go back to the idea of, of detailing cars yeah, speaking engagement's probably not a good one, but there might be other traction channels here like offline advertising or something like that that might work perfect. So it all depends on your your type of business. And for Stackify, uh, we tried a few of these over the, over the years, like different forms of advertising and stuff, and none of them worked for us. And that's how we ended up on the engineering as marketing. And then we do a lot of blogging and content marketing. Um, so you sure do know a lot about uh, this stuff. Is there somewhere where I could ask you questions about it? Yeah, in the Startup Hustle chat. Wow, you, you're going to answer my questions? I will uh, if you beat me in Rochambeau. All right, let's go. Ready? Ah! DeCourcy wins again. <laughs> I don't even know why I tried. again. So Matt Watson will, within reason, which means at least two or 3,000 questions. Yeah. I got nothing to do tonight. Be willing to discuss 
oh, it's not just going to be a night. This is an ongoing community. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the things that we want to do for you guys as listeners is be some be somewhat accessible and the place to check us out and do, and talk to other people that have the same questions or see what other questions people have or even weigh in on them is the Startup Hustle Chat community. Now, and that's on Facebook. It is on Facebook. If you just search Startup Hustle Chat, pretty sure we're the only result. All right, good. So there's a lot of different traction channels and a lot of them seem like really good ideas. I can simplify that whole list into three key words. Test, test, test. It's that simple. Those are my three golden rule words for figuring out what marketing works for you. Now, there's something else about this list that I think is pretty awesome is so much of it is what I call grassroots marketing, which is stuff that you can do at no expense other than your time and your effort. And if you're willing to hustle and work hard, bam, it's right there. You can make it happen with those results. You know, some of the stuff you talked about, um, I've done a lot of it. And, you know, even and, and there's so many ways to get yourself out there. But the one thing that isn't going to help is being quiet and sitting in the corner and not saying anything. You have to be your business's best promoter. You have to be the spokesperson. You just opened a brand. And if you're the only employee, guess what? You are the marketing manager. You're the CEO. You're the accountant. You're also the janitor. So get ready to do all those jobs. So you're saying you got to hustle? Yeah, yeah. And the more you hustle, you know, so many of these things, you know, you look at something like a meetup. It just takes you, – you need to go to these things. But when I go to them, it's really funny because if I feel that the event has the kind of people that I want to be mingling with, I'll talk to everybody in the room. And with that, you don't want to be so – overly aggressive at doing that, that you just breeze past an opportunity to discuss what you're doing, but don't go to a meetup without the intention of meeting a bunch of people. So you actually got to talk to people? Yeah. I don't like talking to people. Well, you do and you don't. You like talking to people about things that you're interested in. But if you go, and that's the thing is there's so many of these meetups, there's so many of these networking events. And honestly, I think a lot of them are a waste of time. But I also think a lot of them are golden opportunities to put yourself around like-minded individuals. And it, if anything, you might be in a situation where you can talk to other people that have already been successful that are there oftentimes behind a few drinks at this point, And they'll tell you, they'll give you a few tips. I've gotten some great information. I've made some great connections and stuff like that. You know, social media is a, a great grassroots thing. Um, content, man, you can write and write and write but I don't like writing. Well, guess what? Then you might not like selling stuff because it's a real easy way to sell stuff. Now, do you get fast results with your content marketing? No, not at all. You, and, and if the listeners could see your face right now and the way that Mr. Watson is looking at me, it's because content marketing is not one of those things where you're going to get really fast results. But when you start getting those results, they can be evergreen. They can last for a long time. And wow, the price it's is like right. a snowball. It I is. mean, you got to start pushing the the snowball up, up a mountain, it feels like. But. So I can't just write one blog. And then when I'm not, when I haven't captured 20% market share a week later, I, that, uh, no. Okay. So I got to do a lot of them, right? Yeah. You got to do a lot of them. Okay. Look, marketing is like fishing. 
the more the more lines that you cast out and the wider your net, the better chance that something's going to swim in it or bite it. Is that kind of like Rochambeau? Like the more times I play, eventually I win. Dude, you are banned from even talking about Rochambeau. I'm sorry. Like I'm you sorry. got you're you're like the guy that didn't even get demoted to AAA. Like you got sent back down to A ball, or you just got cut. You said I'm the Cleveland Brown of you, Rochambeau. I, but the Cleveland Browns have a chance of winning this Sunday. No, they don't. All right. So, you know, there's some of this other stuff too. And, you know, we keep talking about go to market. Well, if you're strapped for cash, you got so many options that, I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, here's, here's one way that I approached it with my very first company. And, you know, we had all these websites that marketed tickets. They acted as marketplaces where buyers and sellers of event tickets would perform transactions. So with that, it took me about six months to finally figure out a few things that worked. But when I found them, man, did I shove an elephant through that crack? Well, and I, I think that's the point, right? Is there's all these different ways that you can potentially sell your product and you don't want to do all of them. You want to find one of them, maybe two of them that work and you want to put all of your energy into that channel until you maximize it. Right. Right. You yeah. don't want to do 20 of them at a time. You don't, you don't have the time and energy to do that. You gotta plus, pick it's kind of hard to track. Oh, yeah, it is. Very hard. But I, I think more than anything, when, when you're first starting, the first thing you want to do is talk to as many people as possible. And I would bet you, more often than not, if you reach out to somebody that's a potential customer or user or whatever and say, hey, I'm working on something new and I just want some feedback – more often than not, they'll accept it. Everybody likes something new. And you're, if you're not asking them for any money, you're not asking them for more than just a little bit of their time. A lot of them will say yes. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, we've alluded to the fact that I may or may not be known as someone who's persistent. Is that true? I, I think you've probably made a lot of people really mad with your persistence. Never. Never. No, actually, it's kind of funny because actually I get thanked for it quite a bit. Because you don't let them forget? Yeah, kind of. And that, you know, like, here's the thing. If someone doesn't want to talk to you, they're not going to reply. They won't reply to your email. They're not going to take your call. I don't, I don't, I'm not that guy. I don't call a hundred times when you still aren't taking the call. If you show interest in participating or buying or doing something, well, guess what? You're a lead. <laughs> you are a lead and, and tell, you know, you buy or you die. Well, and I think that's the hardest part of this too is when you're first starting out, you need every potential customer you can get and you do have to be very persistent, right? You, if you talked to somebody at a meetup yesterday and they seemed interested, you got to follow up with them, right? You got their business card, you got their email, whatever. You got to follow up. If they don't reply, that's fine. Follow up again, follow up again until they tell you to die, go away, right? I, I have a very simple formula that I – well. It might not sound simple, right? I, I call it 10, 8, 4, 2, 1. It starts with 10 people. Only eight of them will even consider talking to you. Four of them might be interested in what you're selling or what you want to talk about. Two of them are qualified to buy, and one might actually do it. Knowing this, what's the first thing you need to do now? You got to find 10 people. Or 10,000. So, and that is the right answer. And you would be shocked at how many people right out of college with a marketing degree have failed that, that 
little pop quiz in the middle of an interview. So you're saying if you talk to two people and neither one are interested, you shouldn't quit. I'm going to tell you right now, and I consider myself to be a salesperson at heart. You need the no is what you're going to hear overwhelmingly. No, no means I don't know. It can. I mean, it, and it, you know, it just, the fact is no, 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 I don't want to buy it. No, I don't want to talk to you. No. Okay. Guess what? There's also a, a really great four letter word when it comes to sales. Well, first off, the best four letter word in sales is sold. The next best one is next. Sometimes just keep moving on. Yep. You keep moving keep on. Going. You keep moving on. I see too many salespeople or people trying to sell stuff. They get all wrapped up trying to sell something to someone that's not going to buy. And with that, I think it's important to kind of understand as you develop your go-to-market strategy, it's not kind of important. It's imperative that you understand who your customer is. Like, what kind of company are you trying to build? What are you trying to service? And also, who's your competition? Because those same people are asking the same people you're talking to to buy something very similar. And if you're new, they're probably selling something better. So I, I had a team with – I had a message – I'm sorry, I had a meeting with our marketing team today and we were talking about this subject. You know, when somebody comes to our website, we want 100% of them to buy, right? But realistically, 1% or 2% will turn into a lead or, or something probably, right? So the question always comes down to what, which 1% to 2% are you chasing? You're never going to make all of them happy, but are you chasing the right 1% to 2%? Are you familiar with the Pareto principle, also known as the 80-20 rule? Yeah. Okay. Well, A, I find that to be overly broad because I can apply it to anything in life. But on a more practical level, you know, 20% of your clients are going to probably give you 80% of your revenue. Right? Sure. So my point here is, is, you know, you're talking, it's a very small percentage of people like you use the Stackify blog as an example. You guys get, what, a half a million visits a month? Yep. Okay, so 1% to 2% turning into active or trial users or anything, even just someone that responds or comes back is pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a lot of people. And you drive all that traffic through writing blogs, right? right. Yep. Okay, so in these blogs, you give them something. I give them content for free. And knowledge and understanding. Yep. And like, that's actually pretty valuable, especially mm -hmm. in the developer community. If, you know, there are what, an unlimited amount of articles on the internet at this point? Uh, there's probably billions of new articles created every day. Right. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. Well, yours are good. I don't understand most of them because I'm not a developer, <laughs> but I totally understand and appreciate their utility. So, the thing is, is if you are willing and able to give someone a solution or something that helps them out, don't be afraid to ask them to help you out. And in your case, that's, hey, try this. Right. Sign up for this. Try give, a free tool. Give me a chance to show you that this is okay. Now, it's so much easier to do when, so at this point, you've actually, you showed up to the party with roses. Or an 11-pack of beer. Yeah, that is a real thing. I don't recommend drinking the 12th beer on the ride there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's always a thing with us. We're like, hey, I brought you a four-pack. Wait a minute. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is when you show up 
and you've you have this hospitable way about you. You are offering to help someone. You are agreeable. You're likable. It makes me want to at least hear what you have to say. Right. So, you know, I think that that's another thing too, is, you know, just because you're busy, it shouldn't ever mean that your clients or prospects know it. You know, you need, sometimes you just got to slow down. You replying from your iPhone and doing it at all lowercase with no punctuation or anything like that reflects on you and your business. And it also reflects on the p- potential job that your business might do for that. Sure. I'm not paying attention to the details. I, I like to say be brilliant on the basics. So, but with that, you know, if you, now I'm not saying you need to go give something away for free, but there's a reason that you get that free pen in the mail from the company that makes stuff. And they're like, hey, take this pen. You're like, oh, okay. Well, at least I've I've opened this envelope because I can tell there's a free pen in it. Now, you know, where are we going with that? Well, the thing is, is, is remember by offering some kind of value to someone, especially if it comes to solving a problem, you know, advice is a real thing. People are are Googling stuff and seeking answers all day, every day. That's how Google became such a mega company, right? So, you know, that, that's a great grassroots way of doing things. Um, with your go-to-market strategy, you could also look within your own industry and it's, once again, answers right in front of you everywhere you turn. What are your competitors doing? How do you figure out what they're doing? I type something in on Google <laughs> and I see who's advertising. I see who comes up in search results. I see who comes up on Google Maps. I see a number of different things. And then sometimes, you know, they just find you. Well, and you can ask their customers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, there's no one that'll tell you more about your competition than the customer that just walked across the street because they're not happy with that other guy. And with that, it doesn't mean you want to start a pity party. And, you you got to know your competition. Yeah. I mean, uh, we have live chat on our website to, and uh, I had somebody ask me today, it's like, hey, why is your competitor's product $233 a month and yours is 50? And they and they almost think you're cheap. They're right. like, what's the catch? I yeah. get that with Gigabook because Gigabook's yeah. affordable. And people ask that all the time. They're like, well, what's, why is this so cheap? Well, you gotta I, know, I'd be happy to charge you more if you want. But, you've got to yeah. know how you compare your competition in every way, shape or form because you're going to get drilled on it. Every single day by your customers. You know, when I, I used to run a chain of retail stores, uh, manage a section within 17 stores, and I used to always send my salespeople to all the competitive stores. And I didn't send them in as a secret shopper. I said, go right in, tell them who you are. Because I don't, I don't, I personally don't like getting shopped myself by the competition, but I just think it's kind of rude. But, you know, go see what everyone else is doing. You should know your competitor's product almost better than you know your own. And with that, don't focus on what the difference in features are. I have a, I, I can provide you with more benefit. The benefits that our product offers are greater. They're easier. They are whatever it is, you know, and remember people buy the benefits, not the features. Now, customers oftentimes exhibit specific behaviors, right? They do. Okay, so now do I need to be a sociologist and kind of like figure out like what makes people tick? Eh, I wouldn't get too crazy about it, but. But there's going to be days when I should focus on advertising more than others possibly, right? 
I don't know. Advertising doesn't work for me. It's true. Now it does for me. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. My results when I use Google ads are remarkably better on those days. And there's a logical reason for that. Mondays and Fridays, people are either coming to work and catching up or they're halfway out the door. And we deal, you know, Gigabook provides software for small and medium-sized businesses. And that's when they're in the heat of stuff. That's yeah. when they're in, we're in the thick of it. And I actually dial down my advertising on the weekends. That makes sense for you. Yeah, because it's just, you know. It's understanding your industry and who your customers are. Right. So having a, an understanding of the behavior. Now, with that, there's also location components, right? Ge just general geography, right? This can matter. Okay, so if I'm in South Florida or if I sell parkas for negative 50-degree weather, I probably sh don't need to do much advertising in South Beach, do I? No, but we might need those in Kansas City next week. Oh, my God. It was four degrees yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to Denver this weekend. I was really excited that it's going to be 60 there tomorrow. What? I know. And then get really cold. So, but my point is, is, is with this segmentation of your, uh, and understanding of your customers, also keep in mind, like you can burn a lot of money and waste a lot of time barking up the wrong tree. So what you're saying is if you're going to sell parkas in Florida, you should do it right outside Alaska Airlines in the terminal. Now, I feel like the people coming from Alaska already have coats and they're getting <laughs> ready to shed them on the way I should be selling sandals <laughs> or something now. Um, and, and that kind of brings us to one of the last points I want to get into is like, there's a use case for whatever it is that you do or the service that you provide. Like you mentioned the car thing, like you, you would pay more to have me come clean your car, right? If you come to me. Yeah. Cause I'm lazy. Well, it's not that you're lazy. I think you just find your time to be a little more valuable than saving $20 by going and dropping it off at the, at the car wash sure. or the detail shop or yeah. something like that. I don't I mean, want to wait in line at the, at the place. I don't blame you. And, you know, these on-demand services are thriving. Um, you know, we recently had a guest from Bungie. And, you know, that's a, an app that you can use to find a uh, pickup truck and someone to come help you, like, on demand. I think that it, they had a response, average response time of, like, 12 minutes. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about, oh, my God, there's so many times in life that that would have been great. So, you know, sometimes the use case is simply convenience. There's a number of reasons that people buy. Convenience is one of them. Uh, saving time, saving money uh, to increase their social standing. You know, pay people. Look, they call it keeping up with the Joneses for a reason. Um, you know, other things, too, are things like education and learning, uh, general experience. These are all the main motivating factors. And then there's also a good old healthy dash of FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yeah. And that that's related to, uh, you know, there's a reason that all these stores have sales. It's called a coming event close. X marks the spot when this deal is no longer a deal and it goes away and it creates some urgency and stuff like that. So, you know, all of these factors, look, you're going to feel overwhelmed by them in the beginning. You got to just start pairing them away. Out of the 19 things that you mentioned, Matt, I can, I could easily exclude six of them. Yeah. Now and the book's got a whole process that you go through to figure out which channels are the best for you. Kind of like a funnel. Yeah. We should probably talk about that at some point because yeah. that's a, that's a pretty uh, amazing concept as well. And, you know, keep in mind that just because people are talking to you about your product or your service or whatever you're offering, 
it's not effective marketing unless they're eventually buying it. Um, I've seen that confusion occur with people. They're like, oh man, I'm getting all kinds of action. Cool. Did you sell anything? No. Okay. Then it's not working. You're just having a lot of conversations about people buying stuff, which by the way, isn't the worst thing in the world. Cause you know, you'll eventually probably find a sale, but you know, I think what Matt was alluding to earlier is try to get it down to one or two. And then, like I said, shove an elephant through that crack. Yeah. You know, like I, I, and, and I'll do the same thing as you until I see it's not working or those returns are diminishing, you know, and that, that's always tough. That's always a judgment call that you have to make. So, well, that, that's where we get into the growth of the next uh, episode of this, right? And, and I, I'm looking forward to that because that's the exciting stuff. It's like, what do we do when things go right? You know, while we're on that subject, I think we need to take a second and I, I want to thank everybody. And I mean, every single one of you that have helped make this show a success so far. Um, we've had a lot of response. I'm really shocked, A, that people want to listen to anything that we have to say, and B, that they keep coming back for more. And, and I say that it, it, with all sincerity. We notice you guys, too. Um, you know, we're, we're two weeks into this, and the show's been listened to in 31 countries. And the amazing guests that we've had on, too. Yeah. And, and that's only going to get better, too. Like, and not, not that, well, we just have a lot of them. <laughs> and we've got some great ones coming up. I'm really excited about that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just want to kind of sign off this episode by saying I'm personally very humbled by the response that we've got. We want to keep giving you guys more. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah, and that's why they can join us on the Startup Hustle chat, too. Where Matt Watson will answer the next one to 1,000 questions. That's right. So, man, you know, I'm going to have to go back through all these episodes and truly count up the mathematical probability <laughs> of all of these losses at Rochambeau, which I do want to point out the streak did end. You did win at lunch. I did. Was that like a, that was like a week and a half was, ago yeah. at this point. Is that the only time you've won? That's the only victory you've had, isn't it? I think that's it. Wow. Well, that's a pretty good example of a traction channel not working. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the startuphustle.xyz website. More importantly, come ask Mr. Watson your questions about sales, marketing, or life because it is his turn to moderate and reply at the Startup Hustle Facebook chat. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.